Welcome to the Breakfast Leadership Show, where we interview global thought leaders on business, leadership, and life. Here's your host, keynote speaker, best-selling author, and chief burnout officer of the Breakfast Leadership Network, Michael Levitt. Welcome back. I've got David Adler on the line. David, how are you? Doing well. Actually, I just got back from Vegas, so I got a little, I'm a little under the weather, but you know, all these people are everywhere. What are you going to do about that? I know. It's this weird sensation. You go places and there's actually people there. And you know, just not too <laughs> long ago, that wasn't the case. And yeah, know. You know, that, that's a perfect segue and in, in to talk about the work that you do. So for those that aren't aware of you, why don't you share a little bit about you and then we'll dive into this conversation. Well, I um, am the chairman and founder of a company called BizBash, and we're the largest website for event organizers, at least the hipper or cooler event organizers. That, you know, the whole concept is we allow people to peek over the fence to see what other people are doing so that they get their events better in all formats. And it's been, I've been doing this only 22 years now, uh, uh, and I got to see a lot. So I was able to write this book called Collaboration, uh, called uh, Harnessing Serendipity, that allows people to see the things that I've learned and talk to some of the great people that I've, that I've learned from. Well, congratulations on the book. And yeah, 22 years, you're just getting started. Just so getting started, that's absolutely. just, you know, yeah, that's the first inning, you know, so know. that's early on. So yeah, yeah I was going to comment, you know, going, you know, a lot of people will leave Las Vegas and they're under the weather, but it might be their wallet is under the weather instead of something else. But yeah, it's, it, it, you know, I don't want to, you know, jump too far ahead, but you know, what got you into the, the event space? You know, what, what was, uh, what enticed you about this? Was it something well, you were doing as a career beforehand or? Yes. Yes. I actually, out of college, I was, I'm one of these entrepreneurial startup guys before the word startup was actually something. And I started a society magazine in Washington, DC, the month after I graduated college. And I was able to hire people. I hired my mother to be the editor and I got, it's a whole family business, but I was able to sort of go out. I went out every night. People thought I was a maitre d' because I was in black tie every night in Washington. So I come back to my apartment and they thought I was like serving all night, but I was going out to events and all the conversations I was having were with these sort of senators and congressmen and ambassador. And you know what their number one skill set is? Event organizing. And so I saw the power of events back then and just has always, I always noticed that was kind of the secret sauce. When you know how to connect with people, you know how to work a room, your life becomes kind of better because you get to talk to all these people and you never know what happens. And that's where I kind of learned that, you know, serendipity is the whole thing. You never know that next conversation is going to bring you something incredible. So I covered events for many, many years with our magazine. I sold the magazine. Then I went to New York and worked for um, a company called uh, Macmillan and Primedia, where we where we used sort of events as kind of the secret sauce and did things like the 50th anniversary of Seventeen Magazine and the 100th anniversary of the Daily Racing Forum and the 35th anniversary of New York Magazine. And I really saw that this was something happening. But I did find that it was hard to do events because there was, you asked your friends, who did what? Who did this? So I created BizBash to create sort of a way that people can see who does what at events. And so we went to events and created a database of like, who is the caterer and who are the speakers and who are this? And all of a sudden that kind of took off and we disintermediated the old fashioned event organizer. 
and this and and then we saw how it was being done all the time and i noticed that sometimes events were terrible that they would have the most beautiful set and the most beautiful entrance but no one talked to each other so i realized that the key is how do you get people to connect and so that's where i came up with the concept that that events need collaboration artists that event organizers can no longer be just event organizers they have to be collaboration artists or programmers of human interaction and so i really saw that 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 was the secret sauce when i worked for one of the bosses that i had we spent hours working on who sits where i uh, and and we realized that it's no longer content is king contact is king so the content helps bring people together but then the rubbing elbows become so important. I don't know if I answered your question, but you that's coming out a lot you, of stuff. No, you did, and then some. And it reminded me of you know the events that I've been a part of that you know, just stand out. And the, the events, and I'm glad that you, you you framed it that way. The events that stand out to me that I've been to in the last five or six years are the ones where there was explicit interaction with the audience amongst the audience. And it wasn't this, you know, a lot of companies they are all sitting together at their tables. They never venture out. So they spend all day for two or three days with the people they work with and never really interact too much, except maybe at lunch with some other people and that, but some of the events that I went to, you know, literally the event, you know, MC would say, okay, everybody up. You're going to change seats and you can't sit at a table you sat before and you can't sit next to somebody you've sat before. And this was a room of roughly 150 people. That event, I've made so many professional contacts that I'm still in contact with. And that was in 2017. So it's been six years oh, since that, that event. That is, you know, one of the things I do as a speaker, and I stole this completely, completely from Scott Heffernan. Um, who started Meetup. Uh, I learned a lot from him. I say, okay, it's not about me, it's about you. So the first five minutes of every speech I do, I say, okay, you guys talk to each other and I'll come back later. And I encourage them to you know, do a deal, hook up with somebody, start a revolution. And it's amazing how I judge, no, I no longer judge an event by how many people attend, but how many conversations I can curate. And if you're a speaker and you're in a room of about 500 people, 200 people, you can curate thousands of conversations in such a short time. I try to get my political friends to understand that that's the future, that activating the room is the most powerful thing that you can do. And, 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 you know, the, you know, my, my, I also stole this from Scott Heffernan and I, it's all in my book too, that the most powerful word in the English language is the word let's. Because whenever someone gets together, they say, let's go to lunch, let's hook up, let's start a revolution. And that's what happens when people connect. You know, it's a very minor thing, uh, but it's a big, huge thing. And that is where ideas flow. And, you know, there's a book called Social Physics, which I also like. It talks about how ideas flow. And it bounces, it almost works the way viruses work. I learned that from the pandemic, that ideas just jump. A good idea goes from one person to the next, there's the next person. And you never know, you can create, as uh, Ben Parr, who's also in a book, talks about, he wrote the book Captivology, that you can, you can create a bonfire, but you have to do the kindling first. And the kindling is all these conversations. 
And that's really important. And it's getting to be camping season soon where I'm at. So it's that's getting me enticed to go do some camping as well. So let's let's go back a couple of years uh, about that event that we all love so much called the pandemic. And, you know, me as somebody that went out and, you know, spoke at events, it was an adjustment. Uh, my, my luggage missed me. I was hoping like mad I didn't leave any like leftover food or dirty laundry in my lawn in my suitcase that was in storage because that when I first was able to open it and go on a trip, I'm like, oh, what's in here kind of thing. But from event planners and you know those you know people that were in the industry, and you know this, it, it was a really abrupt hit. And your site obviously you know continued on and helped these event planners okay let's let's talk virtual let's talk here's this let's talk about some resources here's here's some tools that we're using so it allowed these events to continue on and it also allowed speakers to be able to speak and also attendees to get the information that they needed you know the engagement may have been a little bit different but I, you know i was part of some events where the audience engagement with each other was still strong because they said okay we're 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 moving you all into breakout rooms and just randomly, which I, I love because you're like, okay, who am I going to talk to? And it was just such a great, and I commend the event planners and everybody in the industry for stepping up and navigating through a really traumatic time for the industry because we were sent home in March of 2020 and said, you can't go out and play with each other. And that was a big adjustment for a lot of people. So I'd love to hear your insights on that. Yeah, no, that was, I'll tell you, I am so proud of our industry for the innovation was unbelievable. I mean, people just, you know, the first thing I did was I held a, like a webinar, a webinar every week in a different location just to listen to people because people wanted to be heard. It was really the reverse of having a speaker. It was what the hell is going on and getting people to connect and hugging your audience. And I think that that was the best thing I learned how to do was, was hug our audience and just listen. And the innovation was incredible in terms of the technology people. I mean, people were panicked, but they didn't sit on their butts and just do nothing. They really, really dug in and tried to be as innovative as possible. People went, the caterers went to selling meals online and, and, you know, all the different aspects of the industry got together. There was some incredible um, uh, the uh, groups that created activations by showing huge events with no people there to show how our industry kind of suffered. And so I think we did a really good job. Now, the problem is we come back and we never, we're not implementing all the innovations that we, that we learned from that era in ways where you combine a hybrid and um, where hybrid's sort of an afterthought right now. But I think it's going to bounce back. Um, the one thing that I hated about it, though, is as a speaker, We'd sit here and we would talk and we didn't know anything about it if anything was getting through. Because to a large audience, you would like, I don't know if anybody's listening to me. It was a very sort of weird sensation of being a speaker in that era. Um, and only in the breakout rooms did you feel the hugs. Yeah, that was something that it, it took me a bit of getting used to. And, you know, personal story. I don't think I've ever shared this on my show before, but this was a long time ago. I had an opportunity that just came out of the blue and I don't even remember exactly how it did, but 
I was able to be basically a, a guest speaker at a, a, a Chinese Baptist church service one Sunday morning, and it was their English speaking service. So I'm like, okay, you know, and I talked about resilience and, you know, the, the crowd, you know, all of Chinese descent and some spoke some English, some not much. And um, I'm talking to them and I'm not getting any physical reaction out of any of them. I mean, to the point where I'm like, are they alive? You know, they weren't, <laughs> I, I even to the point where like, do, are they blinking? And, you know, I, I know a lot of people, friends, family that are from, you know, from originally from China or have Chinese heritage. And, you know, they explained to me that, you know, why, but afterwards I said, okay, let's, you know, let's go, you know, into the, you know, the lunchroom, we're going to have lunch and all that. And everybody was coming up to me and they were saying, I loved how you talked about this. They were giving me all the feedback afterwards, but I wasn't getting that in time feedback. So like, Mike on? Yeah. It's like anybody here. (laughs) But it it reminded me of that the first time I gave a talk where there wasn't, I didn't see any of the audience on the screen. It was just literally me talking into a microphone. And I thought, hmm, this is very, very interesting. But yeah, I'm with you on that because it, that that human interaction is what you know really you know it, it energizes us as speakers oh, yeah. and for yeah. and for people that are you know deathly afraid of speaking we know the stats about that you know where some people would rather literally die than do a, a talk in person and I'll share with you my my chickenpox story in a second um, but that you know is is one of those things where I missed that and once I was able to give a talk in person it was just like. Oh. Wow, this feels good. Yeah, I can actually see facial reactions and 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 interactions and all of that. It was it was really really beautiful. It takes it takes practice. Uh, there's a story in my book uh, about Sarah Brown, who was married to Gordon Brown, who's the Prime Minister of 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 of, of the UK, and she was pretty shy. And all of a sudden, Sarah had to become a public figure in in a minute. And she invited all these people to her speech that she, their first speech that she gave. And she was so terrified of it that she forgot to breathe the entire time and fainted on stage as the prime minister's wife. And so it, it, the lesson that we learned from that is always speak publicly, even if you're not in a position yet. I mean, public speaking, I'm always terrified of it. I would get red and I would shake. And now I love it. Because I think I have the confidence to know that I could do it. And also, I know what I know how to do. And I know, like, when I read a script, I don't like reading a script. I know what I know. And I, and I, and I also like to see the people. So it's, I'm sure you have some of the same things. Oh, de- oh, definitely. Yeah, I don't, you know, I have my talks that I give. And I know them really well because I know the subject. But I also can change them on the fly during the presentation, especially if, depending on who the audience is. And whatnot, but uh, I didn't faint for my um, my speaking thing. But you know, growing up, you know, school and all that stuff, you're, you're, you had to give a presentation in class, and was completely you would know, get sick about it. But then I, it was in college, and I was 21 at the time, and it was in a business writing class, and we had to give a presentation uh, as a big part of our grade uh, for that semester. And my brother, uh, who was 16 at the time, came down with chickenpox. Now, neither of us had chicken pox as kids. We had everything else under the sun, but we never got chicken pox. So 
he, he did well. He listened to the parents, you know, the whole share with your brother thing. Well, he shared them with me. So I, here I am 21 years old with chicken pox. I had them everywhere, but my feet. I'll let you do the math on that one. Oh my God. Every, everywhere, <laughs> but my feet. <laughs> and I was red and swollen. The best way to describe how he looked was if you ever saw the remake of the fly with Jeff Goldblum, <laughs> just as he's all puffed out and red and just, ew, not looking good. That's kind of how I look, but I did win the NCAA basketball tournament at the office that year because it happened during March Madness, and all I could do was be quarantined and watch so much basketball. So I crushed that pool. I, I wanted everybody thought it was rigged, but I, I knew who to pick. Uh, I think Duke won that year, so I mean, that was that was a safe bet anyway. But at least you can walk around with your not having it on your feet. <laughs> exactly, feet didn't hurt, uh, but calamine lotion itch. Oh, it was a it was a mess. But so. You know, I call in and I was, of course, during school, I was quarantined for a week. So I call, you know, all my professors saying, yeah, I'm quarantined. I can't come in. Uh, and then I was, once I was cleared to go back in, I still kind of looked like that. I wasn't contagious or anything like that, but I was still, you know, looking really bad. So my presentation was actually the week that I was off. And the professor said, well, you can give it when you get back. We'll, we'll shuffle some things around. So I go back into the school. Everyone's looking at me like, what in the world? And I'm in the class. I'm just sitting there. I'm kind of nervous still because I have to give this presentation, but I had a lot of extra time to prepare for it. So the professor comes in, looks at me, goes, Mike, can you come out in the hallway for a minute? Yeah. yeah. So he said, Mike, you don't have to do this talk. I'm going to give you a C. You're doing great. You're going to get a passing grade. It's not going to really hurt you. I'm going to give you a pass on this one. I'm going to give you a C grade for it. And I, I looked at her and I said, I've been preparing for this thing for weeks. So can I give the talk? And she said, yeah. So I was up there nervous, fumbling around with the papers and all that stuff. Gave my talk. At the end of it, the entire class gave me a standing ovation. Now, it wasn't that great of a talk. I know that. But I'm like, and then the professor asked, okay, why did you give him a standing ovation? And they said, if he can go up in front of us looking like that and give a talk, he deserves a standing ovation. And that's where my fear of public speaking died. From that point forward, I had no problem talking in front of an audience. And so I'm thankful for chicken pox in a weird sort of way because it, it's helped me with my career. Uh, but it's just one of those weird stories that, uh, not that I wish anybody well, get chicken pox, but. No, it's, it's, called, it's called Courage. And, you know, one of my favorite podcasts I listen to is uh, Pivot. I don't know if you ever listened to it with Scott Galloway and uh, Kara Swisher. And Kara Swisher is a friend and also somebody who is a brilliant event organizer. She does incredible events. And Scott, uh, they were talking about the event that they were doing. And Scott says, you know, event organizing is one of the scariest things, kind of like when you're public speaking. Because he says that the idea that, that, that you're doing, if you fail, it's okay to fail privately. But when you fail publicly, it is awful. That's why... You know, uh, an entrepreneur can make a bad investment and lose billions of dollars, but fail privately. But when you're doing it publicly, it's the worst. And so that is that why he says that there's so much courage in people that are publicly, you know, doing things because the risk is so high. And event organizers, that's why I, I, I think of um, Benet Brown and talking about how, you know, it's the most courageous thing you can do is be an event organizer or a public speaker or something. Anything that you do that you fail publicly is 
an unbelievable risk that you take. And if you're good at it and you continue to do it, even when things go wrong, that's double courage. I think you get two, two, two points of courage on it. So doing what you did and speaking uh, and knowing that you are going to get a reaction uh, was amazing. Yeah, it was it was an interesting experience, and of course, you know, winning the basketball tournament, I had extra money for it too. Yeah, so it's like, see, it was it. My brother wanted some of that money. I, I think I gave him a little bit, but not a lot. Uh, I don't condone gambling, okay? You know, but <laughs> you know, know. although, I'll, although it's you know, you, you see, there's apps and they advertise it on uniforms and things now. So it's it was different back then. But right. uh, but so in closing, David, you know, what what's some advice? You know, in you obviously got to world of knowledge in this but for you know up and coming event planners that are you know learning the trade and, and getting involved and now getting into the swing of uh, having people actually in person again and all of that what are i guess what are some trends you're seeing going forward i know you'd you had mentioned something a little bit before about how you think the hybrid things can come back and i hope i i, I sincerely hope that because it, it actually expands the audience that can hear from speakers if there's people that can't go to las vegas for whatever reason money-wise can't get a approval for that much time off, all that kind of stuff. If it's virtual, they can still get that information, even though they're they're sitting at their desk instead of home. But what are some things that you see well, over the next couple of years? The reason that I wrote the book was because, you know, I believe that harnessing, it's called harnessing serendipity. And the idea that harnessing serendipity is all about making, you know, things happen. And I believe that, that's why I also believe that event organizers cannot think of themselves, I said this earlier, as event organizers, they have to think of themselves as collaboration artists. They have to know how to connect the room. So it's, yes, you, you're expecting great logistics and great accoutrements, but if you don't connect the room or read the room, or actually not only read the room, but event organizers have to create the room that other people can read, then it's a skill that I think is more important than ever especially with AI, where you can create an article in five seconds by putting some information into a computer. It's the contact is king thing, and that you have to lean into that, and that we're dealing with a very powerful way that ideas can be transmitted through a society, and that we have to take the chip off of our shoulders, that we're not doing something that's trivial. We're doing something that's critically important to society. So it is a noble profession. So I like to say that we are, you know, we're, what I want to do is, is inspire people to see how important what it is. And the most important thing you can do, the best two things that you can do is, hello, my name is David Adler, when you meet somebody and actually take Keep, you know, give people permission to talk to each other and keep doing that. And, and that to me is one of the most important things that you can ever do is encourage people to actually participate. And you have to do that by being a collaboration artist. We're still going and getting the eighth grade junior high school dance to have the girls to dance with the boys. And the number one ROI of anything, yes, we want to sell the goals to our event, is making a friend and meeting someone that becomes a relationship in some form is the other thing. I judge an event no longer by how many, I said, I want to I judge an event by how many conversations, but I say, is it successful? Because when I get goosebumps and a conversation, 
That's like the greatest thing you can ever have. I'm getting goosebumps now with our conversation because we're having a conversation. We're relating to each other in really good ways. And, and to me, that is the judge of a, of a good connection. Completely agree. And going back to that eighth grade dance, I still remember, okay, you got to be this far apart from your dance partner. Mike. <laughs> and I'm like this, no, this. And yeah, yeah. sorry about that, Kim. That I got a whole other. Uh, a little, little, got a little too close to Kim. Apologize. <laughs> not, not that she's watching. If she is, hi, how are you? It's been time. So, David, I've loved this conversation. Where can people find out this more about you and this amazing work? Thank you so much. Yeah, so really love talking to you. So uh, we'll have uh, the the links to where people can find you in the show notes and all that. So again, thank Great. you so much for all the work that you're doing. My really pleasure. appreciate it. So again, thanks again thanks for being on the show. Thanks for listening to The Breakfast Leadership Show, part of the Breakfast Leadership Network. Visit breakfastleadership.com for tips on empowering your business and your life.